All right, Sal, you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do this. Great. <laughs> Clem and Otis, Daddy Loves You. Some shout-outs today. So uh, start off, Indosol and Tectonic Coffee. Love you guys. Uh, best sponsors I could ever ask for. I'm so stoked. Uh, if you go to www.indosol.com and use promo, promo code THT at checkout, you'll get a 15% discount. And, um, you know, in, in, if you're in Australia or Australasia, uh, it's coming into summer, so... You know, you can wear flip-flops that have a purpose. Uh, you know, they're taking motor vehicle tyres out of landfill and you can be a part of that. So get on to Indosol.com. Also, a big shout-out to Tectonic Coffee in LA. Um, so stoked to be affiliated with an LA-based coffee roasting company that has, like, ethics at its core. Um, you know, they're really, they're really trying to maintain a strong ethical model in what is a very difficult time business-wise and they've been faced with numerous challenges. They source their coffee from around the world and um, they they keep ethical practices at their core. So go to www.tectoniccoffee.com, that's T-E-C-T-O-N-I-C, coffee.com and use promo code THT at checkout and you'll get a further 15% discount. And if you haven't already signed up, you can become an inner core member and um, you'll be getting wholesale prices for life. So get on that and love, you, love your work, Deaton. All right. So here we go, Sal. Let's rock and roll. Let's do this. I'm having a good time. You are? Yeah. I can tell. And we are rolling too. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Today's guest is Sally Lewis. Sally is a wife, mother, entrepreneur, and business coach who has a deep personal interest in human behavior and neuroscience, which translates into her life's purpose. Sally's early foundations in anatomy and physiology via a sports science degree from the University of New South Wales sparked a journey into health and wellness in which she has now dedicated her whole life. She studies rigorously to continue building her knowledge and experience with an emphasis on natural therapies and modalities. Through her Rethink Health program, Sally openly shares her personal struggles with poor health and illness in order to help others. She aims to assist in the realization of purpose, improve improve health, relationships and beyond. Today, Sally is with me to share her journey, experiences, challenges and hopes for the future. Sally Lewis, welcome. Thank you, Shannon. I'm delighted to be here spending my morning with you. So am I. You know, I'm sitting here like, for those that are listening, I've just got the best view ever. So I'm looking at you, Sally. That's a good view. (laughs) Thanks. But then behind Sally, we're looking down (laughs) the valley to Byron Bay and the ocean. Um, What's that valley called? Is it Bangalore Valley or? Uh, It's called St. Helena Valley. Oh, it's so nice. It's magic. Living in a location like this, you know, what's what's it doing for you on a daily basis personally? You know, I've always been pretty connected with nature and this is the ultimate, I think. You know, wake up every morning to the sunrise, watch the sunset as I'm preparing dinner, north-facing ocean views, surrounded by veggies, cattle, fresh air, gum trees. Really, it's pretty cool. I'm pretty have lucky. You, have you heard the, um, I'm sure you have, like the neuroscience around seeing the morning light and the afternoon light and its effect on hormones and sleep? 
Yeah, I think your circadian rhythm, we, you know, circadian rhythm, we're yeah. part of nature and the closer you get to living within that flow and cycle of nature, the better your body vibrates within it. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it interesting? And I do it now, so I always make sure I try to go for a walk on dusk and 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 see those colours in the sky, the pinks, the oranges, and and I do when I do it, I sleep way better. Oh, it's just magic. My favourite thing is probably just to watch the sun go down after you know sunrise is pretty magic, but sunset is a very special time of the day. It is Uh, because we've both lived in Bali. I mean, the sunsets there have got to be some of the best in the world. And um, But in Australia here, because the sun sets over the sea, right, in Bali, but in Australia it rises over the sea. Depends which side of the country oh, you're if on. you're in <laughs> <laughs> you're Western Australia. Sorry, on the east coast of I've Australia. lived in Western Australia, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. As yeah, well, I so, yeah, you get both, yeah. But here we face east. Um, so we get the sunrise over the ocean, which is pretty special. Yeah. Just listening to what you're saying, like, you're saying like I'm living on this property. You feel really connected to nature, and obviously you are. I can see the the cows and the and the and the veggie gardens and and the fruit trees and stuff. Is that what we're missing in our society? Is our people becoming too disconnected from the environment? Possibly, yeah. Look, I think it's one of many things that have happened in our culture, our Western culture, is that we become disconnected from each other from really from nature, from life itself. I think we've become disconnected from ourselves. We've kind of forgotten who we really are and we focus on the external things more and more and more and we forget who we really are, where we really come from, what Mm. really matters in life. And nature is such a great way to connect back into that. So we have two guest properties on our farm here, Airbnbs that we have, that we rent out, and we have a lot of people from the city coming and they're so... Um, they get so recharged just because they're immersed in nature. So, look, I probably take it for granted a little bit because I live here. This yeah. is my life. Yeah, I try and get out in nature as much as I can on the beach, in the bush, you know, and just really connect. It's it's my whole life. Yeah. Um, but you really notice the difference when you have people coming up from the city. You forget. You forget how boxed in they are in their life and. They're so recharged when they come up here. It's great to see. Do you disconnect their Wi-Fi? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes people come up for an unplug weekend. They yeah, tell right. me. They're like, we don't need Wi-Fi. Great. We're unplugging, which is cool. I mean, that's that's a high struggle with it. If I go on a holiday, if I've got Wi-Fi, even though I'm, I'm relaxing and I'm on holiday, I'm still, I am, I'm still checking my phone. Yeah. Takes a few days. We've just come back from 10 days sailing. No Wi-Fi up at the Whit Sundays in the parts we went to. Amazing. And it took me. I had jittery days because I for two days <laughs> I couldn't, okay. couldn't check messages. Well, why? About Forty-eight hours to calm down and to get into that flow. But what was going on in your mind then, though, when you felt like you you were jittery and needed to check it? Like, what were you thinking? Oh, it's just an anxious feeling that. I hope everything's under control. Back okay. at the farm mostly okay. with with my guests on yeah. the property, making sure that who I'd left in charge knew what they were doing, feeling comfortable with funny little things that come up. But once you realise actually it's all fine, you know, I have great managers here when I'm gone and it all works, it's actually a really beautiful space to get into where you no longer need to keep checking back to your phone. Yeah. You got focus for everything else, energy for But did life. you you said it then, did you feel a lack of control when you're on that set? Yeah. 
a little. Like what yeah. if like what if something goes wrong and I can't be there to answer it? And, yeah. Yeah. And so w- you have to what? train up really good people, mm. and then you have to learn once you've delegated to trust them. Okay, and you've got some good people around you now. Yeah. What are, What are you looking for in a good person to trust? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I guess communication and, you know, you want somebody that's on the same wavelength that has the same understanding and priorities as you. If they have a similar care factor of the things that are important to me, I know that I can trust them. Yeah. And is, is that, are these qualities that translate into your marriage? Yeah, I guess everywhere really, every relationship you have is... You know, each person has their own set of priorities in life, what's important to them, what makes them tick, what makes their heart sing. And you can call them values, you can call them priorities, you can call them whatever you like, but that makes up the essence of that person. And this, I've used this in staff in my businesses, you know, when I interview people, I don't really need to know if they've got the skills for that job. I ask them the deeper questions of what's important to them in life. What makes them tick? And then if I've got jobs that are required doing that will fulfill that person, I know that the job's going to get done. Amazing. So you're not just looking at a CV like, oh, they can, they've got these skills, like, like I guess what we'd call maybe technical or hard skills. You're looking more for the, those, those soft skills that you, you, can't necess, you can't necessarily teach, like, yeah. like their, their values and, and their ethics. Yeah, attitude. You can't teach anybody <clears throat> an attitude of mind or a mindset. They have to do it themselves, right? Yeah. that it, External motivation doesn't work. I've tried and failed very well at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, you know, you live and learn in life and you, you you employ people because you think they sound great in an interview or you feel sorry for them or there's somebody... You feel sorry for them. Oh. Have you employed people because you feel sorry for them? Oh, they're a young kid and they're really keen and they've just come out of college and you uh, feel like you want to give them an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've had – I ran an events business in Western Australia for 10 years and I've had kids go through the events course and come <laughs> and be desperate. <laughs> Excuse my dogs in case you can hear them bark. Um, desperately wanting a job. Yeah. And they present really well in the interview and they say all the right things. Yeah. And I'm sure I want to be able to give an opportunity to young kids coming through and they don't show up on the first day of work because it doesn't suit their lifestyle. It doesn't match their values in life or they half do the job and, you know, so you're externally motivating them and nothing seems to work. So I learned very quickly that there's nothing external that I can do. They already need to have that intrinsic desire within. Mm. And my business just flowed when I found those people and connected with them. And then you can upskill them on the job for what the job requires. Yeah, you can teach a monkey to do anything, mm. but you can't teach them to have the attitude to want to do it. Right. So that was the difference. And then we'd sit down in our staff meetings and I would say, okay, this needs doing, this needs doing, this needs doing. Who connects with that job, who's great at this, who loves doing this stuff and the jobs would be allocated to the different team members according to what made them tick. That's so cool. That, that makes so much sense. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. like it's like anything, you're never going to do something the best you can do it if you're not interested in it. Yeah. So I developed a set of questions to ask my staff when I interviewed them yeah. and then in staff meetings down the track we'd sit down and 
became like personality analysis half the time, yeah. which was great fun for me. It was mm. what I loved doing anyway. So I ran a remote business for about it? eight of the ten years. That was my events business. Yeah, so, oh, that was remotely, okay. Yeah, so I set it up in Perth for two years and then we moved to Bali and then we moved to Melbourne and I just kept it going. It was, you know, I look back and I think it was quite extraordinary that it worked on a remote level, but it was because I had these great people that gotcha. we developed rapport and trust and communication and they were doing what they loved doing. So mm-hmm. they were super fulfilled and they kept on stepping up. I just kept handing more and more responsibility over to them. So they pretty much ran my business for me Wow! while I got on and pursued other things. Which do, you is, think, do you think a lot of business people or entrepreneurs fail to see that? They just... Because, yeah. I mean, to me that sounds kind of like a next level uh, mindset. Because I think, I mean, I mean, I've had job interviews and they just want to know what have you done and what can you do and what are your skills and how can we use you as a tool in our, our toolbox. Look, I think that's part of it. I think it's important definitely to consider people's skills, but I think there's a layer beyond that for sure that often gets overlooked. Like, the, I, like what did you say, the human layer? Yeah, the yeah. understanding how people tick. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, the finding purpose and the meaning, the layer of meaning behind the stuff we all do. Because we run around in our life doing, 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 and we forget that we're human beings. Mm. While we're doing stuff, we're actually being somebody. And as well as being, we're also becoming along the way. So who you become whilst you're doing all the stuff you do, I think is far more significant than what you achieve at the end of the day. Do you remember the questions you were asking then in the interview off the top of your head? Yeah. um, They relate uh, very much to what I do now in my job. um, Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. So I've just expanded on, I used to ask four or five questions and now I've formatted it probably into a bit more of a questionnaire type thing for the consulting that I do and the workshops. Okay. Yeah. Can you maybe bounce a question at me? Yeah. So first question is, what do you spend your time doing okay. right now in this moment in time? Not what you wish you would be doing or what you think you should be doing or what you think other people think you should be doing. Yeah. What do you spend your time doing? What are the top three things you spend your time doing? Surfing. What, top and what three sh- things. What are the other two things? I should be surfing. No. Th- and I, I, I wish I was surfing. No. The wrong are you do? Are you spending your time <laughs> surfing? Like, think about a block of time in your life this week. Checking the surf forecast. There you go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm being, for, I'm being facetious. But yeah, I get it. Yeah. I know you, Shannon. I know you'd be out surfing right now if the waves were good. <laughs> what would you like to be doing? Surfing. What should you be doing? Surfing. What are you actually doing? Checking the surf. Yeah. No, which is actually probably to my detriment, let's be honest. Um, yeah, okay. I got it. Yeah. So, I, you know, I ask people what they spend their time doing, what they fill their space with, what their self-talk is about what their conversations with their mates are about, what they spend their money on, kind of what do you surround yourself with in your life? That's the stuff that makes you tick beyond the survival stuff of eating, sleeping and depending on what you do for work, if you hate your job, you're not going to talk about your job with your friends after work. Okay. You're going to talk about what you love doing and every spare minute of your day outside of work, you might be 
Googling other things or reading about other things or, you know, putting energy and money into other things. So it forms a picture mm. of what's really super important for that person at that time in their life. Do you think you could explain like how that fits into the context of your cons- consultation business? Like could you give us some background on that? Like what's the purpose of your consulting business? Like and, and just give us maybe – could you give us a rundown of what you do exactly? A little nutshell. In a nutshell, like what's the purpose of it and, and what are you doing? Okay, so my business is called Rethink Health and it pretty much was born out of my health journey, my 20 years of chronic pain and frustration and not being able to fix myself or have anyone else fix me. Gotcha. And so I'll give you a five-minute a really quick rundown no, of 20 years. honestly, be, be long, <laughs> be long. So, well, I'll answer your first question first <clears throat> in that my health journey was really revolutionised how I viewed health and from that I've then stepped into consulting and helping other people to look, at, look differently at their life and their health. So, so why did your health journey rev- revolutionise how you look at health? Like what what led you to that? Like what was it like? Was it was it not good? You said you had chronic illness? Yeah. So I had 20 years of chronic migraines and food intolerance. So it started off mildly like most things do and my background is in health. So ever since I was 14 or probably earlier, I've been really interested in health. I worked at a health food store. I used to make smoothies and juices before they were trendy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was so ahead of my time, you know, making green smoothies when I was 20. Wow. And, um, you know, was kind of a little bit alternative and hippie way back then and studied sports science and ate healthy and just pursued as much of a healthy existence as I could, you know, and became a naturopath and pretty much looked at I got really sick of prescribing green pills to people. They'd come, they'd have a consult, they would um, go away and, you know, hope that some green pills would fix them, some natural medicine when they weren't changing anything else in their life. And I got really tired of doing that. So I'd worked in gyms, I'd set up personal training companies, I'd done pretty much everything you could do within the fitness industry and then it evolved into nutrition and then it evolved into naturopathy and then... Um, I decided that it was more a lifestyle coaching type business that I wanted to run because I wanted to look at all the pieces of the puzzle. I gotcha. So I looked at diet, socialisation, um, a little bit of psychology, sleep and rest, all those kinds of pieces of the jigsaw so, puzzle. So not just physical health, like it was like social health, mental health, emotional health. Yeah, to a degree. Sleep health. I, yeah, yeah, I looked at, I actually had a jigsaw puzzle in a piece of like a, an illustration that I put on the table and it had the different pieces of health like exercise, diet, supplements, social, the social piece of the puzzle, you know, all those different pieces. But it was a really interesting for me because there was one massive piece missing that took me 20 years to discover. And that was? That was the connection within. Right. That Did you I, say the spiritual connection? Yeah, spiritual, finding your soul, finding your purpose, discovering who you truly are. So mm. instead of looking at all those external pieces of the puzzle, which are really important and they form part of who you are for sure because we're physical human beings, 
I had to go through 20 years of pain to get myself to wake up and look within and realise that that's actually the essence of who we are. Physical pain or emotional pain? Oh, it was both. It was everything. Okay. So it started off with migraines and I thought, oh, this is silly and I was kind of in denial for about 10 years that I actually had pain. I just kind of thought positively and was brave and thought I could get on top of it. And <laughs> so I just got smacked over the head with more pain till I woke up. And I look back at it now and I realise every single day of pain I had in my life was feedback, was an opportunity for me to wake up to something deeper. Okay. I was just very stubborn and very fixed on looking at all the external things. And I'd studied naturopathy and nutrition and the human body so deeply that I thought I could fix anything with the right diet and the right digestive system. With the physical? Yeah. Were you not addressing maybe some underlying, um, I guess, uh, personal issues? Were you not addressing like maybe things like resentments or hurts that had occurred in your life? All of that. Okay. All of that emotional stuff, I just pushed it away because I thought I was fine. Okay. I'm like, I'm a well-adjusted person. I'm pretty happy. I have, an, I have a good marriage. I have great children. I've got nothing to be worried about in my life, you know. Surely there's nothing going on in me. <laughs> Is there like a deep, like, like a discontent maybe deep down? Um, like you it, was, it like, was much more subtle than that because it was so deeply pushed into my unconscious that I actually didn't even realise what it was until it got to the point of such rock bottom pain and despair and wanting to just completely end my life. I had to go to that black hole. I had to go to that place of not wanting to get up, completely like to, giving up in my life. Like you, had to, you had to get all those layers stripped back. Yeah. So you could start start from the bottom and work up again. Yeah. I mean, metaphorically. Yeah. Oh, pretty much, you know, metaphorically, but pretty much that was my life. I came down to, okay, I know nothing. I have to start again. What am I missing? What is this big deal, you know? from When you're in – migraine pain is really difficult to explain unless you speak to another migraine sufferer. You know, it's a pain that drives through your head like a knife sticking into your eye causing relentless pain that won't go away, no matter what you do. Primarily in your head? It was always in my left eye. It was always like a knife. It was actually just like someone had just jabbed a knife right through my eye and was just pouring pain into my head through my eye. And how old were you when it started? Like what? How old was I? Well, I was probably in my 30s, early 30s. So Uh, you were quite young. I guess the point I'm trying to get to is you were quite young. Yeah. Which would have been a surprise to you because you might associate that with someone who is maybe older. Yeah, well, my mother used to suffer from migraines and I thought, oh, I'm just not like her at all. How have I got migraines? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And I'd spent my life pursuing health, you know. My whole life was all about eat well and exercise and have a great attitude and think positively and, you know, make the most of your life. And I lived on that level for a very long time. I studied human development way back when Zig Ziglar was, you know, the guy with all the he was kind of the only guy around in those days. Sorry, I feel really ignorant. I don't know who Zig Ziglar oh, Zig is. Zig Ziglar, Google, Google, Google Zig Ziglar. I'll Google him. He is one of the original you know what? motivational speakers of the 80s probably. Okay. So I, when I was working in the health industry, I ran gyms and I was into sales and marketing big time, the whole kind of business 
part of my brain yeah. and I wanted to understand more about how people ticked so basically I could sell more stuff to them, you okay. know. Okay, so that's very, your, that was okay. That was the catalyst. Uh, yeah, um, you know, it was a very underhand motive for understanding people, I guess, back then. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how people think and and how people act. A little, you know, in the early days of human behaviour studies. Right, and it was born from okay, which is understandable. Like born from a sales perspective, but then where did the journey take you from there? Like then it led you to well, I've done more study. Yeah, I mean, look, I've done many different interesting. You read my CV, and it looks like I've done a million different jobs. But but there right. is a there's a thread that runs through all of them. So from right. the health industry, I went and flew with Qantas as a flight attendant for five years. I've set up businesses. I've done all kinds of interesting things to the point we have a farm now and I know about cattle, which I never thought I would. But that ties into the food ag business that I set up when I set up farmer's markets years ago. So, you know, there's common threads that have run through everything. Yeah. Um, And my interest has always been in people, no matter what it is, whether it's my staff or my customers my family, I've always had this desire and curiosity to understand what makes people tick? Why do people do what they do? Or why do they not do what they say they want to do? Would you say, would you say it's a desire to help others? Yeah. You've always sure. had that. Yeah. And how does that make you feel? Look, I don't think there's a person alive on the planet that doesn't want to help other people. Okay. I think if you... You think? Because oh, I wonder. Do you? Maybe. I, think I don't innately, want to sound too negative, but... Well, I think innately it makes you feel good as a human being to want to help other people. Right. I think deep down even the hardest core criminals would have something inside of them that they would want to help another human being. Mm, I agree. And I know for me it's kind of like, it's almost like, ironically, it's a selfish endeavour. It's kind of where the good feelings are. Yeah. And I want the good feelings. You know? And it gives you meaning and purpose in your life. That That's for me personally, but I think everybody feels satisfaction. Yeah. If you can use your experiences, and that was what kept me going in the darkest, deepest, darkest moments of pain and depression and frustration and feeling I wanted to give up. I held on to this belief that what if what I'm going through could help one other person in the world? Specifically the migraines? Yeah. What if someone else has got this same issue that I do? What if there was one other person out there mm. and that is the reason I'm alive? Right. It was such a tiny little thread of hope. It was the tiniest, tiniest little thread, but it kept me going. That's interesting. So, okay, so the migraine started around your 30s. Yeah, and then, early 30s and, and then, then got worse and worse and worse. So and, I could have four migraines a week. I could be in bed. I could be completely debilitated. And and how long did that con- – well, then what other health problems stemmed from that? So from that I would have um, – I, I started to develop food intolerance. So because of my background in nutrition, of course I connected the dots that the f- migraines were caused by something digestive going on. Gotcha. And so the more I looked in that area, of course, the more I found. So I'd already kind of made up my mind that that was it. Anyway, I had loads of food testing done. I had kinesiology done from an amazing chiropractor I 
have in Melbourne or had in Melbourne. Um, and the association from my brain kind of created the problem. And gotcha. I know that sounds like mind over matter medicine, but it was real. So eventually, after all the food testing, I narrowed my world down. So I thought, oh, it's oranges or it's dairy or it's chocolate or it's wheat or it's this and that and the other. So I would eliminate those foods. And the more I eliminated, the more sensitive I became. Ah. And the more convinced I was that it was those particular foods that were causing the migraine. How interesting. Yeah. And so my world narrowed, as my diet narrowed, my world became so small that over the course of about three years, I could eat seven things left in the world. What? So you see, when you say your world narrowed, I guess in terms of what your options were in terms of even simple things like going out to socialise for a dinner or... Oh, yeah. Or, or when you go shopping. Yeah. I couldn't even... It got so bad. Seven things that, and that wouldn't affect your migraines. Yeah. Do you mind if, I, if you tell me what they are? <laughs> Do you remember? I remember very well. So, yeah, so appalling as it is, that was how I lived for about th- two or three years on seven, seven things, things because Bre- I... Breakfast, lunch and dinner. Narrowed, yeah, I narrowed my world down so small because that was what gave me control in my life. Gotcha. So the seven things, are you ready for it? Let's go. <laughs> I'm so curious. Celery. Yep. Check. I love it. Lettuce. Boring, but yes. Carrots. Who, who doesn't love carrots? Zucchini. Not my favourite. Chicken. Chicken. I like chicken. Lamb. And spinach. Okay. They seem okay. But that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty limited. I couldn't have coffee. Oh, no, that sucks. No caffeine, no alcohol, no sugar, no fruit, no, no nothing basically. Okay. Those things. And it was no onion, no garlic. So you go out to dinner, everything's covered in no onion, onion and or garlic. garlic. Yeah. Wow. Like that would affect your health. Garlic. Yeah. So, and, and my daughter at the time was really, well, she still is now, she works in hospital. She was into cooking big time. So she used to make, she used to do heaps of cooking. I'm so blessed that I had her interest at that time. Yeah. <laughs> I got really sick of chopping stuff up. I couldn't just run out and grab a pizza on a Friday night or get takeaway because I was tired. It was really time consuming. <coughs> And so my whole world became about just chopping up carrot sticks and carrying my carrot sticks with me. I was super skinny, had some great bonus side effects. Okay. And but maybe not in the healthiest way. No, not healthy at all really. And, you know, I probably looked terrible when I, you know, when I look back at it all. I, I probably looked like a walking skeleton yeah. really. And I barely was staying alive. My body was barely functioning on those nutrients and, you know, it was at the time when bone broth became a thing, you know, that, you know, the food the fads kind well, of... Well, yeah, and the nutrient, the nutrient density of it. And yeah. So I spent hours boiling up um, lamb bones and chicken bones to make my own broth because I couldn't just buy it in the shop because it had onion and garlic in it. So pretty much everything's laced with onion and garlic. Yeah. So you don't go out for dinner. People invite you out to parties and things. You go and you drink water and you don't eat any of the snacks. Yeah. You feel really antisocial. I yeah. became pretty much a little hermit on my hill in Byron, tucked away on my farm, trying to figure out what was going on. Wow. Yeah. 
and I'm just I'm super lucky that I had a, such a supportive family, you know, that stuck around and didn't just so then leave. Um, so your mental health then degraded in line with that. Yeah, and particularly because my background was in health, I thought, well, now how am I going to work? No one's going. I don't have the answers anymore. When I had previously had the answers, I'd been able to help people with all kinds of conditions, you know, and nutritionally. What I had prescribed for them had helped them. But right. nothing that I knew, none of my knowledge was helping me. Interesting. So, and based on traditional nutritional um, information, eating a pure diet with bone broth and vegetables and meat is about the purest diet that you can get for the human body. So well, in that's... theory, I should have been in ship-shape health. I should have been shining and healthy and whole. So, but you know what, my, that was my belief system. I studied it, I worked in it, I'd seen other people thrive and yet when I applied those same things on myself, nothing worked. I actually got sicker. And what, when, at what point did it sort of culminate into like the, the what was the, the rock bottom moment? When did it get to the point where you just were, you felt completely broken and you were done? Uh, there was a few moments like that. I'm either a slow learner or, <laughs> or I had a lot to learn. <laughs> Probably both of those things. <laughs> so there were several moments where I sat contemplating if life was worth living. You know, one night in the middle of the bathroom shower, water pouring on me thinking, what am I even doing? What's the point anymore? There's no point getting up to face pain mm. five days out of seven and, you know, the days I woke up without pain, I was like a maniac. I flew around doing a million things because I felt like I could conquer the world. There was no pain. Quick, hurry up before the pain comes back. Oh, wow. So that was a terrible way to live. Yeah. And it became very rigid and very tight and very controlled. And, you know, I, honestly, I don't know how my husband stayed with me. He's just an absolute rock and a saint that he stuck around because I would not have stayed with myself if I could have done something about it. I was trying to check out a couple of times. I had no, I didn't have enough Panadol in my bathroom to top myself one time. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm a bit of a chicken with slicing through wrists and things like okay. that. So, you know, but I definitely had those moments. And yeah. so four or five of those moments, my husband said to me one day, Sally, what you're doing is not working. You need to do something different. And it was as simple as him saying that to me. I went, okay, what am I not doing? What is the glaring, obvious thing that I am not doing? I'd been looking for 20 years outside of myself for someone to fix me. I'd been from to orthopedic surgeons. Okay. I'd been to every alternative person you can imagine. I'd done some crazy stuff. Um, and I realised that the common denominator was me. And I looked within and I said, okay, this is now what I have to go through. And I went on that journey to really discover who I am and how it all works on a really metaphysical level. Okay. Well, can you give us some strategies? Like what were, what were some of the, f- the first few basic things you did to, to reevaluate? So it sounds like you were quite set on this path and you were in a, like a rut of you – were, you were stuck in a rut, would you say? I think I was stuck in really oh, like a mental rut? rigid belief system. Rigid belief system. Okay. Yeah, for sure of, you know, you can fix anything with your diet. I really believe that. 
And you know what? To a degree. Do you still believe it? I believe that it's one part of the jigsaw puzzle. Okay. I believe that eating well is wise. You know, the world that we live in, we're exposed to so many stresses, toxins, environmental stuff, mental stress, all kinds of things. Eating is one thing that you've got within your control. You can choose what you put in your mouth. And so you can make wise choices or you can make dumb choices. So <laughs> what are you going to do? There's always an outcome. There's always a, um, uh, what's the word? There's always a... Um, like another alternative well, or an option? Yeah, there's always um, a consequence, consequence for action. So if you eat shit, you're going to have That's consequences. You yeah, your body functions better when it is happy. Yeah. So learning what your body likes to eat is a pretty wise thing to do. But I was so rigid and I was so hung up on that stuff and it gradually happened over 20 years to the point... Or I lived it. I lived this rigid life of eating the perfect diet. But was which it? Which is not but <laughs> in, perfect. But in that in that time in your life, was it also combined with work stress? Like, did you have a lot going on business wise? Like, were you doing your event management company, or were you renovating properties at the same time? I was doing all that. So I had okay. a, I had a crazy busy life, but I loved it. I loved what I did. We've renovated twenty eight properties wow. in our life together, and I've loved it. Um, so it's not that's not been super stressful. Um, yeah, I've been busy. You know, we've travelled, we've had businesses, we've we've renovated, we've somehow brought up two children, we've done all kinds of things. But were you, you blaming that though? I tried to. Oh, you know what? I tried to offload all of that stuff. So I got to the point where I delegated <coughs> pretty much my whole business off. I sat on the couch with not much to do, and I still had migraines. And I still vomited and I still had diarrhea and I still had digestive issues and I still couldn't eat anything. It was almost like it got worse. So I reduced all those stresses in my life to nothing and I was still left with me. I was the same person. I had the same belief systems whether I was busy or not busy. Same thing. It was that's another external thing. So I tried to change everything on the outside of me without changing what was going on in the inside. Mm, interesting. So, okay, let's. I want to go into that. I really want to delve into it. So how would you get started on that? How would you start going? Oh, it was within? a very long journey. So as happens in the universe, when you decide to open your mind up or look for something different, something shows up. Funny enough. <laughs> so... Um, the very first person was a tenant, actually, that we had in one of our properties. There you go. And she asked me if I'd read certain books, which some of Bruce Lipton's books, some of Joe Dispenza's books, and I said, oh, no, I've never heard of that. Anyway, so I investigated and did some research of my own and went on this really interesting journey, decided that oh, maybe I'll go and study psychology or maybe I'll study neurology and neuroscience. And I looked for different... (gasps) Sorry. (laughs) I looked for different um, courses out there that I could study. Nothing resonated with me. And I ended up having to find my own path, even in studying. I just... I hunted and I... Oh, there go the dogs. um, 
And I just found my own way in the study. I threw myself into what came my way. I went on seminars and workshops and I engaged online courses and... And did you just start to be drawn to what worked for you and what didn't? And it was like almost like a process of elimination yep. just through trying things. Yep, pretty much. Like being open to to new ideas and, and, and things. Yeah. Or, uh, so practice, I just, practices. Exactly, yeah. I just immersed myself in what came up. And even the stuff that I found that didn't resonate or didn't really work, I still learned something from that. I learned what didn't work ah, as much as I learned you. what did work. Gotcha. You know, and, and there was no prescribed right or wrong thing. It was my journey and I had to figure it out myself. You know, I went to, I paid thousands and thousands of dollars for life coaching and mentoring and all kinds of things in that time. Attended so many different seminars. I, I felt like I did a double degree literally in three years. Uh. I read 300 books. I I just got my hands onto whatever I could to try and understand at a deeper level what was going on. I kind of had to unlearn a lot of stuff more than learn it in a way. And that was when I started to notice such a big difference. When I unlearned what I thought was right. Mm. Sorry, I'm just excited by that when you say that. So I think we're all brought up with a set of beliefs you know, we have a mindset that develops over time that we're born depending on our mothers, fathers, teachers, you know, religion that we grow up in, the culture. Early early experiences, early mm-hmm. life experiences. Yeah, the social norms that we've, we're surrounded by and that forms our belief system. And there is no right or wrong, you know, yet we're taught that there's right and wrong. And we're taught so many different things that we accept because we're small and we're so influenced and it's accepted as being normal. How do you gauge mistakes then? Well... Based on personal feelings? It depends on what you judge as a mistake. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But again, how do you gauge that on a personal level? Is it Does it come from a feeling? Um, I now look at things, I mean, yeah, I used to beat myself up a lot if I failed something or I didn't quite attain what I thought and I was an absolute perfectionist, you know. I was that A-type personality, overachieving. (laughs) I I, I didn't notice. (laughs) Completely, completely ridiculous. (laughs) And, you know, and a lot of migraine sufferers, funny enough, have that personality. Interesting. So, yeah, high overachiever, very unrealistic expectations on myself and everybody else around me. Okay. And that really was the crux of why I would get migraines. Interesting. So I went on a very interesting journey and really, in a nutshell, that journey was connecting our psychology and our kind of mindset to our physiology and learning that that mind-body medicine is actually, or even the mind-body connection is the basis of who we are. You know, we, we are a soul living in a body and our mind is the bridge between our soul and our body. And I say that now and it's almost, I don't, I don't really know, it's, it's much more accepted than it was 20 years ago, you know. It's almost mainstream to talk about that stuff. Which is good. 
So good. It is good. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad that the stigma is falling away in regards to that. Yeah. You know, you know, as we sit here in Bangalore, surrounded by hippies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there is. There's a stigma like, oh, that's just such a hippie thing to say or, you know, there used to be that. But, you know, like if you look at the state of the world and the state of the world's health, it's like, well, come on, like let's, let's reevaluate. And, well, and you the, look at what's working and what not's working. Yes, yeah. I think that's what I ended up doing. That was me coming to my rock bottom and going, this is not working. Just as my husband said to me, he's like, what's working in your life and what's not working? If it's not working, do something different. Yeah. So I did something really different and I just threw myself into this stuff. And from that, I cherry picked what worked, what didn't work. What, and it was more about me. It was what works for me, you know, and this is, this is what's different now is that there is not one size fits all. Everyone's on their own journey. And for me, sure, it took me a really long time to figure it out. But there was a lot to figure out. Yeah. And being an A-type personality, as you described, would you say that the feelings of shame were a big part of your story? Yeah. And the, re- the reason I say that is because, yeah, like like you said, that personality type is very much linked to like, you know, overachieving, perfectionism. Um, and I think I've found and I've learned uh, observing others and maybe myself is that it's often often driven by these feelings of not good enough or I'm not good enough or I, I'm worthless and, uh, and it's being motivated by like something very – like a, a very insidious feeling of shame. And, I, and once I, personally, once I realised that, that was a big game changer. I, I don't think I even understood what shame meant. Yeah, I agree. I think shame is a massive thing. You know, I don't, there's not a human being alive that doesn't feel shame. I really, you know, at some level in their life. Um, the way that I now view shame is that I think it's a feedback mechanism, same as everything. You know, I think sickness is a feedback mechanism physiologically to point us to a deeper level. Gotcha. Shame is the same. You know, I think if if we really explore and look at the feelings that we have, whether they're guilt or shame or fear or anxiety or depression or whatever the feelings are that we have, if we explore those feelings deeply and we pull them apart and we see what they're leading us to and what they're guiding us to, there's a purpose for them. And there's a place for them in the world. We don't have to get rid of shame. You don't have to get rid of anxiety and fear. You can use it to find your purpose in a deeper way. It's like as a guide. Yeah. So you can make fear your friend. Sometimes it's good to be afraid. Sometimes you need to be afraid of things. You know, even self-depreciation where we self-sabotage ourselves, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes we're heading off in some crazy direction which isn't really what's going to make our heart sing. It's not really what we want to do. We're doing it because we think we should do it or we're doing it because we think someone else thinks we should do it. And we we go running off and doing things and you get a bit of a doubt in the back of your mind, this little kind of nagging anxiety and you're like, oh, I don't feel good about that. And sometimes that's a warning. Okay, well, don't do it then. Mm. Maybe that's not what I need to be doing right now. And you question yourself. And so rather than trying to push away all those negative feelings, I actually look at them face to face and go, what is that trying to teach me now? What is it trying to reveal to me and show me in my life now? How can I use that emotion and that feeling? And, you know, you get 
the more you do this, the better you get at it. And this is what I teach my clients, learning the skill to understand your emotions and master your emotions and utilise them. As a, as a superpower? Superpower. <laughs> Mastering your emotions instead of letting them control you. Yeah. Because that's – why else would you have emotions? They're here. Can't get rid of them, you know. And it's hard though. They're I, powerful. They're powerful, but that's the point. If they weren't powerful, they wouldn't get your attention. Uh, Same as pain. If you didn't go through pain, nothing would change in your life. Mm. If you just cruise through your life, imagine this, right? Imagine your life was just easy, breezy, no stress. No problems to solve, just floating along, everything went your way, never had a challenge, never had to figure anything out, everything was put on a plate for you. How would that make you feel? Yeah, probably in, maybe insignificant, maybe purposeless. Yeah, and pretty bored. bored. Yeah. So much as in the human experience we try to seek pleasure and avoid pain, pain is really a necessary part of our existence. It shapes us. It brings creativity brings problem solving, it causes us to dig to a deeper level which provides the meaning in our life. I thought, what's the point? Mm. Like seriously, what's the point otherwise? If you, if you choose to embrace it, and I, I feel that a lot of people do anything they can to avoid it. Oh, it's part of being human, I'm sure. As the Buddha said, you know, it's the basis of that belief system, those that, you know, avoid pain, avoid we're trying to run from the inevitable when we avoid pain. Gotcha. And we don't use it. We don't see it as something to help us in our life. We don't look deeper and find the purpose in pain. So now I help my clients find the purpose in their pain, whether that's physical pain or emotional pain or relationship pain or financial pain, whatever it is. Sorry to jump in. You discuss all those aspects of their life. It's not just focused on on physical health. It's not just focused on relationships. You look at every element that they're faced with. Yeah, depending on the person's situation. Everyone's so unique. Some people will come to me usually because of physical pain. That's usually the driver. But beyond that, there's a whole raft of other things and it, it all connects. You know, you you can't separate it out. You know, our life is so intermingled and interconnected that the mind-body connection, you know, you can't, how can you separate your mind from your body? There's no way. (laughs) Knowing what I know now, I'm like, how did I used to think that you could fix everything just in your gut? Yeah. Interesting. So listen, Sally, like, it's really amazing and I love it, but I'm really curious as to like, your early days, like where did you grow up exactly? Like where are you from? Where were you born? I was born in the UK into a really average suburban existence. You know, I had one older sister. I had a pretty, you know, ordinary kind of childhood. I had parents that stayed together. They didn't particularly love each other. And sorry, Dad, if you're listening... Um, you know, I had parents that fought like cats and dogs and went to school, went to church on Sundays, they'd rock up to church, pretend everything was rosy. You know, it was a very, to me, it was an average suburban existence in the UK. And as soon as I could, I left home. I was 
uh, 18 and I went as far away as I could, came to Australia. <laughs> oh, that's that's a big. That's the, okay. That is far away. I thought you. I thought you moved to like the capital city of wherever you were. No, that's I, what, yeah, I grew okay, up no. about. I grew up on the coast in Brighton, in England. Oh, nice. Yeah, the rocks oh, and the pebbles be, on the beach. That's and, meant to be a really cool area. It's cool now. You know, when I was little, it was just you know when you know when you grow up, you just think it's normal. You just think everyone has that existence yeah, growing yeah. up. You think yeah, that's you do. Just normal life. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, I just thought it was normal to go to the beach and sit on the pebbles and get in the cold ocean and go on a donkey ride on the beach and have fairy floss. Okay. I thought everyone did that. And then, of course, I got older and realised that there was a whole big wide world out there and we had a wonderful family, Australian family, came and lived next door to us for a couple of years and I was really fortunate. And then when I was 18, travelled and stayed in their house for a little while and then here I am. 30 years well, later, and just still stayed. in Australia. Yeah. Wow, you made a decision to stay at, at that age. Yeah. That's big because 18 is young. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just Was it like did you just sort of come to Australia and just feel much more connected to, connected to the place than you did in the UK or was it just more of a desire to escape? It was a freedom thing, yeah. I wanted to get away. I wanted to get away from my upbringing, from my religious rigid thinking, you know, I questioned ever since I was the age of seven, I questioned the religious Christian belief system. And that was quite strong in your family? Oh, very strong. Yeah. My parents were church-going, Bible-believing people. Okay. And... Catholic? uh, Baptist. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I look back at the upbringing and I'm super grateful for so many things, you know. It gave me a desire to want to understand life. And the deeper things of life. And much as I kind of moved away from all of that stuff, you know, and that belief system, I still have a deep yearning inside of me to understand life and to discover where I was from and what was the point and why are we here and where do you go, you know, (laughs) all the big questions. And the church never could answer those questions. They can't. So, you know, it took me a very long time to unravel from that and there was a lot of guilt around that, you know, a huge amount of guilt. Um, And, you know, I really think a big part of my journey of being in so much pain was to deal with that stuff as well. Wow. And to embrace who I really am and what I really believe now. Gotcha. Mm. How interesting. So to sum up though, if you had to reflect on your childhood, would you... Would you reflect on it with fond memories overall? Oh, gratitude! I gratitude. think now, yeah, um, you know, because there was a, this, there was still a very strong element of stability there. You couldn't, you can't deny that. Oh, I'm really grateful that I had parents that cared for me, and I had a roof over my head. I was well fed, well clothed, well okay. taken care of, educated, opportunities to travel. You know. How, who can want any more really? You yeah. know, you look at most of the world and that's such a privileged upbringing in yeah. so many ways. And yeah, so, yeah, in, instead of being angry and upset with that, I've learned and I've looked for where is the gratitude. Mm. So, yeah, you know, and and I wouldn't say that my mum and I had a close relationship, but I've now done enough digging and enough work that I've found enough of a connection and I've actually found how she is a gift to me. Oh, she's died now but was a gift to me 
you know. So all the early resentment as a child, I've dissolved that into gratitude. Took a lot of work. And that taught you a lot. There was a lot of learning from that. So much, yeah. What about school? What was school like in the UK as a as a youngster? Oh, school what? was just school, you know. You, it was just what you did. Did you like it? I didn't love it. Why? I was, I was pretty good. I was an A grade student. I was pretty. I did my homework. I got on with it. Um, but it felt very academic, and you know, it felt like you're just ticking boxes to get to uni to the next thing to tick boxes. And so I, I just felt like there was more in life. I felt like why I'm constantly questioning, why am I doing this? What's the point? Yeah. What were the subjects that you enjoyed or, or were drawn to? Um, I loved biology and, you know, understanding the body and dissecting animals and hearts and eyes and all okay. that gory stuff, you know, how things work, understanding, uh. you know, that putting things together. Um, I actually enjoyed English because I love writing. So that was always great just to indulge that passion of mine. Um, I, I liked the social side of school. I joined all the clubs. I, you know, loved all the Were people. Were you sporty? Um, not particularly sporty, no. I, you know, in England it was netball and hockey and it was freezing. Soccer? For the boys, not for the girls in uh, those days. So uh, it was very limited. Girls did hockey. And in winter and netball in summer. That was it. So it was pretty limited. Yeah. You know? And so, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm a very sporty person. I'm quite, you know, I'm quite fit maybe now in that I do a lot of yoga, but I'm probably not a sporty person. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> and, and like I ask a lot of people this question, like was there a specific teacher that you really identified with as a, as a young person, as a teenager or a child? Oh, there was a teacher I had a massive crush on. <laughs> don't, don't say the PE teacher. It was the PE teacher, wasn't it? Uh, actually, it was maths and PE, yeah. I, think. <laughs> I was probably about 12 or something. Wow. That's funny. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, there's not one particular teacher that stands out. But, you know, look, school was fine. It, it wasn't my favourite time in life. And my, I had a, my mother was a school teacher and my dad was an engineer. And so gotcha. there was a big expectation on me to do well at school and go off to uni. Follow an academic, academic Very academic, pathway. yeah, which I'm much more practical than academic. I love, I am a little bit nerdy, you know, like I, I try to understand quantum science, which I don't even know if the quantum scientists understand. <laughs> quantum it's full science. on. It's it's full on. It's full on. But I can see why you like it because it it's you're personally interested in, in the power of it and yeah yeah and so and I had to understand how it worked. Like I had to understand the biochemistry of the body, so I knew how that worked. You know, so I could tell you all about the Krebs cycle and how energy is transformed through the body. If you're really interested, I'm interested. I think I might bore all your listeners. Not at all. <laughs> so I have to understand how things work. You know, so whether it's on a physiological level or a quantum level, I need to understand that stuff. You know, for my own satisfaction, but then also so I think I can explain it to other people. Is the Krebs cycle the one where um, 
nerves that fire together wire together. Is that the one or is that? That's in neurology. That's in your brain. The Krebs Krebs cycle is like, sorry, the energy systems. Energy systems of your body. And the way they metabolize. Yep. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Metabolism. Got it. Part of the digestive system. Thank you. But um, no, that, so I mean, look, the neurology is fascinating to me, how our brains create belief systems. Our brains are just searching for meaning. But is that a survival mechanism? Yeah, like for sure. It would have evolved from that, for sure. Yeah, like it's problem solving and, and ways, thinking of ways that can anticipate and protect you from harm, whether it's perceived or real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think as the human race evolves, our brains have evolved to kind of catch up with where we're at in life now. Okay. Like survival is not such a big deal when you live in the Western world. Your brain doesn't need to operate on that level. Yeah. And so, you, you know, all that kind of innate core stuff, we've kind of evolved beyond that a little bit now. And... You know, learning to apply it to different areas of life is what I'm really interested in doing. Yeah. So, you know, I incorporate a little bit of neurological technique in what I do. You know, I think psychology is fascinating, but I think you can't ignore the the neural connections in your brain because we're so programmed. We're born into whatever culture we're born into and then we're just programmed from the day we're born basically mm. and then that's the unlearning that's the deprogramming and reprogramming that we need in our in our life okay well then how do you then function in a society where that programming exists and then you want to step out of that okay so you, is that the is that the fundamental challenge yeah that's a big challenge and you don't need to unless you have a challenge or a pain or Otherwise, you just keep ticking along. Yeah. So until you're challenged, you <coughs> – excuse me. Um, and Yeah, until you're really challenged, you don't change. You keep doing the same old thing. Yeah. And so that's why challenge is great because it makes us stretch and learn and expand and evolve. You know what my personal challenge is right now? Tell me. Okay. I know for a fact that when I drink coffee with milk, it gives me a tickle in my throat. Okay, so so far we've been talking the last hour or so and I feel like I have to keep like turning away and, and coughing. But I still will just keep drinking that coffee every day and then getting the little tickle in my throat and not feeling great from it. But I just can't, like I can't break it. And I get it because I like coffee too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and why? It's called coffee for a reason, right? Coffee. Coffee. I think it's the dairy though Because when I drink black coffee I'm okay There you go So drink black coffee I know But my I'm programmed to go No But I just really like I really like the taste of the milky coffee You know And I just can't And I've actually It's I know it's something significant It's small But Yeah It's just like something I want to change And I can't Like I'm just like No Just I keep doing it every day Most days So until the cough becomes excruciating or painful or annoying, you don't need to change. True. Or you won't change. Mm. No need to. Well, it is annoying because it's happening during during our conversation, so it's breaking the, the rhythm of that and, and the flow of that. And so there it is. Like it's, it's so if that becomes super important to you, then it'll be really easy to give up milk. Mm. That's the, that's the neur- neural association in our brain that we create. So if I sat down with you for half an hour and came up with a list of 
why is it important for you not to drink coffee or not to drink milk? Or how is it going to help you in your highest priorities to drink black coffee? And you came up with enough connections and links to that. You could give up milk in an instant. It's like addiction. That's, it is addiction. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So addiction is just simply the need to fulfill something that's unfulfilled. It's unfulfilled purpose. And that's why we stuff our mouths with things or we, you know, escape from reality, you know, whether it's alcohol or food or sex or shopping or whatever the things are that we're all addicted to. And we're all addicted, let's face it, we're all addicted to something. Mm. Unless we, every moment of every day, are operating from complete fulfilment of purpose. I don't know too many people that live in that state in their life constantly. I flow in and out of it and I'm constantly reevaluating who I am and what I want and what I do. Is it getting is it getting easier though? Yeah. Further in, further into your journey? Definitely getting easier. Yeah. It's getting older. Yeah, it's just a skill. I think it's a skill that you develop or more a way a paradigm of thinking. Okay. It's about changing how you think. And that is a process. It's not, you know, come and see me and have one session and your life is fixed. It's embracing a whole new way of thinking that creates a new mindset, which is, you know, a big neurological programming. So I like to tell people, you know, that their neurology is like a jungle of neurons. And if you live in the jungle and your source of food is fish in the ocean, two kilometres from where you live in the jungle and you just keep following that same path through the jungle every single day to get your fish, that path becomes second nature. You can go through that path at night, you can close your eyes and walk down it, it's easy. And then what happens one day when the source of food dries up and there's no fish left in that part of the ocean? You've got to go hunting somewhere else off your little jungle island to find some more fish. And you've got to break through a new path in the jungle to get to the new fish. And that's tough and it's painful and it's hard and you've got to chop trees down and it hurts and you want to give up. Is there an abundance of fish on the other side? Yeah. And you get there and there's fish that you've never even seen or tasted and they're way better than the first lot of fish that you've ever had. (laughs) But it was bloody hard getting there through that jungle. And then what's interesting is if you put all your focus into getting to those new fish through that really chocked up overgrown path where you encounter wildlife and huge things blocking your path, you don't focus on the other path. That somehow just grows over by itself. You don't have to worry about how do you change your thinking. You just have to focus on the new thing. So good. So good. And that's how your neurology works. And so, you know, you have the ability to change your mind. I think as humans that's one of our superpowers You know, the grandfather of psychology, William James, way back in the 1900s, 1920s, I think it was, said as human beings we have the ability to change our mind. And when you really get what that means, it's a superpower. It is. But it takes work. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of desire to understand, you know. And I've spent hours and hours and hours meditating you know, sometimes it's just to escape from my reality. Sometimes it's just to ponder things. And sometimes it's to go deeper within and, you know, just learn about myself. Meditate means to know thyself. 
That's what it literally means as it translates from the original. I didn't know that. I've never heard that. Yeah. And a lot of people meditate just to escape from their reality, whereas I'm about embracing your reality and discovering how it's there to serve you. Even the ugly stuff. Especially, Especially the ugly stuff. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, it's not fun. It's not fun. And, and it's a practice though, a day-to-day practice. Uh, kind of. Well, you know, I'm a bit of a go with the flow. I can go weeks without meditating. Okay. I don't religiously do it. I definitely don't have a ritual and a routine in my life like that. I have done in the past. You know, I've, I rigorously followed Joe Dispenza's meditations for two years love love joe dispenza day and night yeah he's a brilliant brilliant guy you know he's a chiropractor that studied neuroscience and how the brain works and he's done some brilliant work in quantum quantum physics yeah and he's put a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together you know great guy um and that was really that was definitely a great stepping stone in my journey of understanding that you know and then but there were still gaps there were still questions there were still things that didn't fully gel with doing that meditating, you know, and it became a religious ritual in my life of meditate for an hour in the morning, meditate for an hour in the afternoon. I was still looking outside of myself for something to fix me. I was looking Ooh. for the meditation to fix me. Because uh, <laughs> that's what I've been doing. <clears throat> I, I read that. I read I read, read one of Joe Dispenza's books, um, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, mm. and then did the Great associated book. meditations and Oh, like amazing and even to the point like on a physiological level where they're using like a certain type of music that has a, a specific frequency. A binaural frequency. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It, yeah it was making – it makes a huge difference. But now I reflect on it and as you said that, I was like I'm starting to use it as a as – a, I'm not going to – I think for lack of a better word, like a, a drug mm. or a, like a – something to to actually fix to to change the change the thinking i'm not i don't know if i'm doing it myself i'm relying what am i trying to say i'm relying on it yeah i get to, it to do the work yeah. to do the work yeah there you go and you know what it's a great tool and it, it it's helpful for so many people but it to in my experience it only took me so far and it was great and i learned so much through doing a lot of joe's work but I still had questions and I was still really sick. In fact, I probably got sicker while I was doing that because I was still looking for something and I was still very rigid in my thinking, oh, my God, I have to do this meditation. What if I haven't meditated today? Oh, my God, I'm going to fall apart. And once I let that go, yeah. to me it's about control and freedom. Right. And once I learned what freedom, once I defined what freedom meant to me, it started to really change my health at a really core level. It was no longer about, you know, the controlling thing from the food or the meditation or living a certain way or saying certain things or having certain beliefs. It was about discovering who I truly, truly was on an authentic level and being okay with that. And I know that sounds kind of simple and simplistic, But to break through all the layers of who I should be and what I was worried about what other people thought about me and what was it going to look like and, you know, how do you get rid of all of those masks that we all live under? How do you peel all those masks back? 
and become that really true, authentic person. That takes time and that takes getting to know yourself, which meditation can really help you do. But there are many ways to do it. There are many paths to find truth. There's not just one. There's many paths to find truth. Mm. There's not just one. Mm. It's pretty special. And I think we're all unique individuals and we've all got our own little path. You know, I think that we get so hung up on trying to belong to something. Those are two paradoxes of life that we are un- we want to be so unique and stand out and yet we're so desperate to belong and fit in. Uh, and feel connected. Yeah. Mm. And both of those are really important. But I think the irony in that is that when you do step out, you actually and, – and, and find that uniqueness and that sense of individuality, I find you then attract the like-minded people – and, and then you actually become more connected. Yes. Because you start to find your people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, I don't know what's going on in my life at the moment, but wow, it's just happening regularly. I mean, even the fact that I'm sitting here with you right now, I just, it's, I feel like it's a bit of a testament to it. I'm just being, just, yeah, just, just finding my people in, in every, in every, every aspect and every day of my life. Like it's, it's crazy. And it's a cool way to live. It is. That's inspiring. Yeah. It's really cool and it's effortless. Yeah. And it's like getting into sync with nature or the universe or whatever you want to call it. And this was, you know, this was the kind of, wasn't really what I, well, I guess it was what I was looking for, but, you know, how now I've formalized what I do into consulting and my programs that I teach people. They're very much based around the laws of the universe, the physics laws. You know, I've combined a lot of really ancient wisdom with cutting-edge science and I've looked at where those two marry together and what really resonated for me within those two different worlds, which are actually very much saying the same thing. And when you learn and understand how the laws of the universe work and you live within those that framework, you kind of almost have a little manual or a handbook on how to be a human. <sighs> Kind of. Don't tell too many people. <laughs> and the framework you know, of like, how to be a human, isn't that the fundamental problem in the world? And I'm going, how do we not know this stuff? It seems obvious when you lay it out like that, to be honest. What would you say to the person that came to you and said, Sally, fix me? <laughs> mm. I'd go, I actually, I'm not fixing anyone. You have to fix yourself. Thank you. And do you know what? It's not even that you need to be fixed. It's that you need to, and this was, this was the biggest change in my mindset was I wanted someone else to fix me or something else, some modality or some meditation or some belief system or something to fix me. And then I thought, oh, nothing out there is working. I need to fix myself. Once I changed and flipped my perspective that I even needed to be fixed, that's when it all changed. Because <laughs> maybe you're not looking for fi- to be fixed. You're looking for contentment, right? Peace. Peace between the ears. Peace in the heart. Peace in the soul. Fulfillment. Probably Fulfillment. not even peace because peace if you seek bullshit. peace, you're yeah. going to attract war. Ah. Well, is, that, is that true though? It's true. We live in a quantum universe. We live in a... So if you seek peace, you're going to attract war? Really? Mm. So okay then, how do you combat war? Was necessary in the world. So you go to battle. 
I know that's an extremely controversial thing people don't want to hear because they want to have a nice, easy, peaceful, happy life. Yeah. Seek ease, you attract conflict because you need both sides. As a human being, and this is when you understand how the laws of the universe work, you need both sides. But what if, what about the concept of uh, inspire peace through peace? So if, if someone, let's say you're having a situation where someone is, there is a conflict situation and there's aggression on one side, can you influence that side through peace? See, that's, that's what I, I've always to, believed. I mean... You've got to ask your que- yourself the question, why do you want to do that? Okay. Why do you want peace? <sighs> to... To avoid suffering or pain or harm to others? Okay. So, or oneself? Yeah. So this is, goes back to the, what the Buddhists say. Suffering is optional. So you can choose to suffer? You can choose to look at your pain you're in and see it as pain or you can choose to see it as feedback. Even in the face of severe adversity? Yeah. Extreme adversity? War? Yeah. I know it's really hard to get your head around when we live in a culture that we do. The Western culture that we live in has trained us to be pro-life, pro-peace, pro-happiness, pro-everything kind of on the nice positive side. Look at my life. I was super positive, super happy, super this, that, the other, and I was trying to ignore the pain in my life. I honestly, like I completely denied that there was anything going on in my life for years. For 10 years I pretended I didn't have pain. I thought it would go away. It got worse. Until I looked at the deep reasons that were going on, that why was I going through this stuff, was to wake me up to the reality of what life is all about. You were creating it? On an unconscious or a subconscious level. Were you in denial? Yeah, I was in denial because I wanted my life just to be rosy and happy and peaceful and pain-free. Were you going into self-pity? Yeah, for sure. I probably I probably the first few years I didn't even go into self-pity because I denied there was anything going on. Wow. I just, you know, it made me super strong. I look back at that time I'm like, wow, I was bloody amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was crazy. Yeah. But I was pretty amazing and pretty strong. And you know, I've done an exercise now as part of my healing journey where I had to go in and find how was that pain, how were those migraines, four or five migraines a week, what was the purpose, what was the benefit, what did they give me in my life? Wow. And the first five were almost impossible. I sat there going, nothing, what's the point? Why would you want to have pain in your life? And then when I really got into the exercise, I found 500 reasons to be grateful for a migraine. 500 reasons. See, I, I can't. I can't comprehend that. 500 reasons. I just kept going until I had 500 reasons. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of the work you do is, is based in gratitude, right? Yeah. You, you know, and it's not just a lip service to gratitude, which is very common. You know, yeah. write a gratitude list, get a gratitude diary. It Check. doesn't... I did all that. I've done all that stuff and it makes no difference. <laughs> <laughs> write down five things every day you're grateful for. It made no difference to my health. You know, it's really healing for me to hear what you said just before. It's just starting to bounce around in my head where you said, when you just said before, maybe I don't need to be fixed. Stop trying to fix things. Stop, uh, uh, you know, like it's just, I just, that, that felt really healing for me. It's like, I don't, I don't need to be fixed. I am who I am. I am. Yeah, you're just perfect 
right now exactly who you are, how you are. Even the ugly bits. Especially the ugly bits, Shannon. You think, but what if those ugly bits are impacting on those around you? Well, that's maybe helping them. Maybe they need that. Maybe they need to learn something from that. This is the bubble-wrapped world that we live in where we're trying to protect ourselves and our children and everyone else from feeling anything. You sound, when you say that, you sound so fierce. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean that as a sincere compliment. I have no clue what I sound like. No, it's, it's a sincere compliment. But I'm, thanks. I'm, I'm, I am really sincere about it. I think yeah. we're messing up our kids by bubble wrapping them and protecting them from going through shit. You, you don't learn and you don't become the incredible divine, amazing, superpower human beings that we are, that we're created to be, unless you go through the fire. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. You know, I spent so much of my adult life blaming this shit that happened in my childhood. It's you know, fodder for but, you to grow. It's but you, fuel. But you know what? Like I love who I am as a person. I, I do. And um, That's cool. Yeah, I Not do. Not many people can say that. Well, it, it fluctuates, <laughs> um, but like I, I've been very reflective in my life lately, and I'm quite. Um, I've, I've done a lot, you know. I have. I, I really feel like I've done a lot, and I've tried to live my best life, and um, hasn't always been easy. But um, a, a lot for many years, it was driven by um, by pain, you know. Mm. But now that you've sort of put it like that, it's actually just. Um, Got me really thinking. Sorry. That's all right. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. It's a cool exercise to go back in your life and look at the stuff that you thought was painful or crap or unnecessary or challenging or hideous that you hated and find the purpose in it. You know, when something happens and you're like, oh, my God, what am I going through this for? And then five years later down the track you can see why it happened and you can be really grateful. Do you spend a lot of time self-reflecting? Yeah, yeah, I have done. I spent three years on my hill as a hermit, not eating anything. <laughs> self-reflecting. Isn't that just isn't that just a Byron Bay rite of passage? Oh, maybe. No, just I don't know. I'm Who jo- knows? I'm I was joking. I was lucky. I was in Byron. I think it, the energy helped me to <laughs> do, do it. Do you time. feel like you're? Do you feel like though in this area that you are surrounded by your people? Like, are you identif- do you f- do you find more identification here than say you would in inner city Melbourne? Probably, I think people move to Byron or live here and settle here because they're looking for more in yeah. their life. You know, you've got everything. Byron is full of everything. You know, you've got all kinds of crazy, ungrounded stuff going on here. But you've got people who are really looking for what matters in life as well. So you know, whatever you want. You can find it in Byron. A little bit like Bali, you know. Yeah. Bali's probably Byron on steroids to a degree. Yeah. So you're very interesting to me and 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 others in similar situations. Like, I, I mean, from where I'm, my perspective, from the outside, I see someone who has achieved the traditional successes that society believes that we need to achieve, such as a uh, successful career, maybe um, successful with property, successful maybe financially, um, you know, the the house, the location. Um, But then there's still a seeking, there's still a seeker and a searcher in you. And I know for me and a lot of others that I kept thinking if I had got to where you are, 
on by traditional standards that oh well everything's going to be okay and I'm I'm, I'm done I'm, mm-hmm. and I was striving in that direction for so long mm-hmm. um, since I can remember and uh, wow and then it's like it's so inspir- in- inspiring to see that well then no sorry mate it doesn't end there oh I well was... some people might though I don't know well they're not they're probably not living their life on the same level that I do possibly. I don't, you know, I don't really know. And everyone's so unique and has their own purpose um, and their own journey. But for me, yeah, I was totally in that place, financially independent, earning a huge lucrative income, had a beautiful home, looking over the ocean, had a great marriage, had two great kids, loved what I did. You know, it's like all of those external trappings that define success External trappings. Didn't, yeah. devi- didn't define me. And so when I redefine what success is in my life now, it's much more connected to purpose and meaning. And it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you do. You can do anything you set your mind to. I showed that, you know. That sounds cliche. It does. It really does sound cliche. But I did all of that, you know. I built a great business. We renovated and stepped up and did really well financially in housing and property and, you know, all of those things. But it still wasn't, you know, I loved it and it was great and I'm really grateful that I've done all of that. And I look back and there's a thread of what I've done in all my different careers and businesses that tie into my purpose in life. They've all been stepping stones to where I am now. Okay, so those blood, sweat and tears... We're all part of, of that greater journey. Yeah. Yeah, like and not just for the material, for the for the spiritual. You didn't, but maybe you didn't realise it at the time. Yeah, I didn't realise at the time the connections in it. I was inadvertently following my heart without realising it. Ah, gotcha. And this is the thing in finding the order in the apparent chaos is everything is actually happening for a reason. Yeah. We just haven't discovered it yet. Once you look and you find that and you take the time to explore, most people never take the time to explore that. Most people never take the time to unravel what they think is meaningless chaos or waste of time existence or mistakes in their life. Once you sit down and you unravel through that, you find threads and you find patterns in your life that lead you back to your purpose in life. And I don't believe that we only have one mission in life. You know, I don't believe that there's one kind of directive that we're meant to do in our life. I believe that it meanders, you know, look at my life. I've done so many different things and they've all been so integral to what I do now. They've all given me skills and gifts for what I need in my life now and such a deep understanding of life that I would never have had had I not been through that stuff. There's no way I would change anything even in that pain, even in the, you know, the 20 years of pain. Sorry, did I drift away from that? I, I got you. I got you, you know. I, I got you. I, I bumped the volume up to catch your You're voice. You're on it. You're a pro. I'm DJ. You no, are. just kidding. DJ Shannon's in the house. I do. I've always wanted to be a DJ, but let's not go down that. Let's not go down that. Yeah, so keep, keep going because I'm really intrigued. So every little path in my life has given me something that I need now. Right. And when I look at, you know, what is my mission in life now for this segment in time, 
is to inspire others to find their purpose. Because that was my next question. What's next for you then? What's next? You've, you've got this beautiful. Really <laughs> well, you've got this beautiful consultation business. You know, you've st- husband, amazing children, doing their thing, obviously. But yeah, so and uh, like, is it maybe to continue on the path? Like, you found your path, and 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 you really actually feel like you're on the right track for purpose. Yeah, I. You know what? Day by day, moment day by, day. by moment, uh-huh. and I think that the whole COVID thing has given us. An amazing opportunity to live moment by moment. We can no longer control what's happening to a degree, you know. We, we don't have the level of control that we used to. And I don't really know why we thought we used to control the future. We made plans and we thought things were going to happen. But really, tomorrow is an unknown. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And so living in a state of... Allowing and trust is probably what COVID has brought for people. It's given us that opportunity to live much more in that state, which is really uncomfortable and it's really challenging and it's really difficult if you've never done it. (laughs) So true. Yeah. Uh, Is it going to force people to go within? I don't know. I don't know what it takes to wake people up, but, you know, we can't keep doing what we're doing. We can't keep destroying the planet. We can't keep destroying each other at the rate that we were. Mm. And so whether COVID is giving people a bit of a wake-up call to live differently, to look deeper within, to find purpose and meaning instead of just existing, because how many people just exist? Totally. Totally. But what if those people are happy with that? That's fine. Go for it. None of your business. And you know what? You need some people like that in the world. Otherwise, the world does not function. Yeah. You can't, not everyone can be a mover and a shaker and a leader and a change maker. You need followers and you need, you need people that plod along and don't have massive aspirations. You need, be, uh, what are they called? Busy bee workers. You know, you look at how nature operates and you've got one queen in a hive of bees. The bees aren't making decisions. So I just I go back to nature every time. There's so many, it's so great. many. Examples you know why? Because we are nature. We and are. T- Tim Fidgel, a good friend of mine, and you might know oh, him I as well. Tim. I love Tim. He he said it. He said it. He said it to me numerous times. He said it in the podcast as well. He's like, he's like, I just see the biggest problem with humans is that we forget that we are nature. Yes, we're not separate to nature. We've disconnected ourselves from nature. Well, well, well that's the thing. Well, we actually. Well, he's like, well, we really haven't. We're just um, we think we have. <laughs> we're just this. We're just this. You know, organism that's trying to alter nature to suit us, but we're really insignificant. And nature's just saying, "No, no, this is not. You're not the boss. We're the boss. I'm the boss." And so that's really the lesson from COVID. It's you know something so tiny and small yeah. as the microorganism that the virus of COVID is taking us down. Doesn't take much. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I really try hard on here not to talk about COVID. Okay, end but of, no, end no, of COVID no. conversation. But, <laughs> but then I'll then I'll talk about it. <laughs> and um, going in line with what you're saying is this: you know, with governments eroding our civil liberties, which is what's going on, they're taking away our freedoms, mm-hmm. which is just made, which is justifiable to an extent. And I, I, I don't not understand it. Um, I, I, I feel like you're right. It puts us in a position where it, it's actually 
simplifying our life um, by default. Mm. And so when, you know, your life's simplified, you have to you have to work on yourself and reflect. But the one thing that is giving me the shits the most is even on the news this morning, there was an epidemiologist on the Today Show and I never watched that. I was just at a friend's house and they had it on as they're making breakfast for the kids and whatever. And this epidemiologist is like, yeah, well, you know, um, there's a correlation between mask wearing and the curve going down. So I think we can reduce the curve um, by everyone wearing, wearing masks. So tomorrow we want as many people wearing masks as possible. And it's, it's just the constant message we're getting. But I'm, I'm yet to hear a health expert on one of these mainstream media outlets saying things like, hey, go and lose some weight, stop smoking, reduce your consumption of alcohol, go outside and breathe fresh air, exercise, eat nutrient-dense organic food. Mm. Okay, let's let's see what that shit does to the curb. Yeah. Curb, you know what I mean? And just like, come on, like, why aren't we promoting that more? It's killing me. But no, they're saying sanitize, isolate. Maybe in 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 response to that, use essential oils. Go exercising and say hello to as many people out in the park as you can. Yeah, go and tell totally your agree. tell your significant others that you love them numerous times a day. Mm. What? Where are those messages? You know, except for friggin' memes on Facebook and Instagram that nice people are putting up. It's like, no, governments, please start doing that. Same thing. When are they going to wake up? When it's not in the interest of them financially or in the kind of power play that they're in mm. to look at actual solutions. Thank you. Understanding I, but, but, how the human body works and if we all had great immune systems, COVID would not be an issue. And yet that message is, you know, for years, I mean, the drug companies and the the politicians have controlled how people live. It's just fear-based. It is fear-based and Band-Aid solutions. They're yeah. Band-Aids. Yeah. Okay, like otherwise like, and after, okay, Victoria and Melbourne has just been fully locked down again with curfews. Um, like curfews, like are you serious? Um, which again, okay, I'll, I'll try and understand it. But it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen when there's another wave? And what happens when, the, when there's another spike? It's just going to keep – I can't see an end to it given this model and this approach to it. Yeah, I think, you know, it's so, it's so generated by fear and control. Thank you. And, it is. And when your life is, is motivated by those two things, you're not living as a superpower. You're not living as a superhuman. You're giving away your power to external things – government, media, other people. And so, you know, I teach people to take back their power and to become empowered and to discover who they truly are. To reduce fear. Yeah, it's like, well, not even to reduce fear, but to see how the fear can serve you. But in that, in doing that, the fear dissolves because then it's no longer needed. This is the thing with pain, fear, depression. When you see how it's necessary in your life and you utilise it, you're still in charge of it. It's no longer controlling you. You get to see the benefit of it and the reason for it and the meaning behind it and then you use it in your life and then it dissolves and then you can be grateful for it. <laughs> and then you never want to change it. And so then true. the same cycle will keep happening. It's not like you're going to then be completely, you know, devoid of fear or pain in your life. I still have pain in my life. It's not like I don't ever, I don't just... I don't just float through my life pain-free now. <laughs> and, you know, there are some days I'm like, that'd be great. 
this. But yeah. in reality, I know that it's there. You know, every time now, if I get a headache or a skin rash or an anxiety about something, I examine it, I explore it, and I go, "What is this here for? What is this showing me in my life? Where's the gift in this?" Because I, I've now over time developed a trust that the universe has got it together. Mm. Somehow it knows what it's doing. Somehow nature has figured it out over all these years. Like there's a higher power? Something. I don't really even know what I call that anymore, you know. Having unraveled myself from religion, I don't want to call it God or higher power. I just feel like there's an intelligence that runs through the universe that's way beyond you and me. Yeah. How does a cut on your finger heal by itself? I don't know. We do it. We just do Our bodies do it. Yeah. We don't consciously make that happen. Right. And so I think that, you know, there's there's a level of allowing and trust that we need to learn to connect within our life. I actually, after my journey of healing, I had a tattoo down my spine of the six steps to transformation or five steps to transformation that I went through. <sighs> Amazing. And that now is kind of like my backbone, excuse the pun, to my life and also the programs that I teach in my business. So I've got the five words that I just come back to every time, you know, when I feel challenged or pain or unsure or uncertain and, you know, there's a hell of a lot of uncertainty in the world at the moment, more than our generation has probably ever felt before. So to bring myself back to the certainty that I do have control over and that I can influence, I come back into myself and those five steps down my spine, which are, do you want to hear them? I definitely want to hear them. (laughs) The first one is awareness, awaken. So my first word is awaken. Gotcha. And you don't awaken unless someone wakes you up or something wakes you up. And it has to be uncomfortable or painful to jolt you out of your comfort zone. And so the second word is acknowledge, which is probably the one that everybody skips over. Why? Because they don't want to acknowledge stuff? Because they don't take the time to do it. Ah, yeah. And I think that once you (coughs) discover who you are or you start exploring what's really going on, taking the time to really acknowledge stuff, letting it sink in is such an important part of the whole process. You know, that allows your neurology to kind of catch up and that's the thing that really starts to change your paradigm of thinking and formulate a new mindset. You know, your perception, how you see the world is pretty much everything. We all have our own perception and taking the, you know, and that's our reality. Our perception creates our reality for us. And the ability to change your perception is the superpower that you have. And understanding how to do that and understanding that it's a process and it takes time and effort is cool. Nothing's, you know, an instant fix. You know, you, you might be 20 or 50 or 70 in your life and it hasn't taken you five minutes to get to the stage you're at. So it might take a little bit of time to unravel from that stuff. <laughs> you know, everyone wants a pill or a quick fix or an instant yeah. answer now, but... The reality is it takes a little bit of time sometimes to do that. 
But the acknowledgement is a huge thing to kind of focus on and yeah. and allow to happen. Um, the third word is connect. And that's connect within. For me, it was that was the biggest challenge was to connect with who I really was. Instead of denying what's going on or worrying what other people think, is really connecting, letting your human part of you connect with your soul and your spirit and realizing that that's the essence, that's what makes you you. And then from connect, honor. And that's, you know, that's the gratitude side of it. Once you realize who you are, become really grateful for that and see the reason and the meaning and the purpose behind all of that allows you to be grateful. So exploring all of that brings the gratitude instead of just looking for the lip service gratitude and listing things, but actually really exploring and finding the meaning and the reason and exploring the order in the chaos. You see the point and then you can be really grateful. You actually can't not be grateful once yeah. you see the, the kind of the order. Then the then the uh, the fifth word is allow, which is a trust word. You know, once you start to really honour who you really are, then you allow and the universe then becomes your friend and you're in sync with nature and things just flow in your life. doesn't mean it's pain-free or challenge-free. Stuff comes in that's needed and has a purpose. And that's what will lead to your transformation, which is the sixth word. Amazing. Trans- and that's it. Transformation is the last one. And you- yeah. I, I may have another like word. It all builds up to that. All those things build up to transformation. Yeah. So awaken, acknowledge, connect, honour, allow brings a transformation. So cool. And I may be adding a seventh word, which is becoming, because I feel like once you transform, you kind of feel like that's it. But it's never ending. Becoming, We're never done. Becoming enlightened. Becoming, yeah, whatever you want it to be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think anyone's enlightened, you know. I think if you're enlightened, you expire and you're no longer needed on the earth. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, so I think we're all on a journey of becoming. A journey of becoming. Mm. You know what? It's a, I think it's a beautiful way to end. It's like it's been epic. It's been like, I don't know. Almost an hour and forty-five minutes. Goodness! And um, oh, there's just so many, so many takeaways for me personally. But listen, I can't. I, I, oh, there goes the dog again. The, the cavoodle barking. It's barking at the cat. The guard dog. They are the guard dogs. <laughs> Look at them. But they just that poor cat's just staring at them the other side of the win- window, going, "Come at me." It's playtime. <laughs> <laughs> But listen, I ask all guests, Sally, to come to the podcast with a cause. So what's your cause you want to advocate for today? Do you have anything you want to... Sure. Well, yeah, thanks. Raise awareness about? ...to um, bring this to the mix. Something very, very dear to my heart and something I've been involved in for a very long time. Uh, Through Qantas, actually, when I I was a flight attendant for a while and... I made a connection um, with a group in South Africa and one thing led to another. Um, and there's a gentleman by the name of Astonishment Marapusa. Okay. Believe it or not, his yep. name is Astonishment. That's a great name. He, Yeah, he is just an incredible man. He was sold as a slave at the age of 10 what? and has the most incredible life story. In South Africa? Uh, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, okay. Yeah. Um, he is such an inspiring man to me that with nothing he does so much. 
And through the years, we've supported the orphanages and various different things that have happened in South Africa. But um, in probably 2012, 13, it must have been, um, he had to leave his home in Zimbabwe and went to South Africa. He then threw himself into helping the kids in Soweto. He's, you know, yep. His heart is so big that he has just got so much to give in the world from from such a meagre life that he lives himself. Um, he now has started a, um, a foundation called YOSA, which stands for Youth Opportunities South Africa, where he pretty much looks after the underprivileged youth and the disadvantaged youth of Soweto. He Amazing. goes into the deepest, darkest, nastiest places wow. you can imagine. I can imagine. With violence and extraordinary levels of teenage pregnancy yep. and just really, you know, the down and out of life in South Africa. And with nothing, <laughs> he has got such a big mission ahead of him that he's teaching kids how to become empowered pretty much in a nutshell. Okay. Know, he focuses on education but he also focuses on welfare and social connection and a whole lot of stuff. But he, he pretty much... He does a lot of the same things that I do. Amazing. And we made this connection years and years and years ago. And so, yeah, we've supported him through that. So his organisation is very close to my heart. And actually he just has had his life story written in a book by a guy called Graham Jones. It's called Astonishment, Laying Ghosts in Mugabe's Zimbabwe. No way. Can you hold that up for a sec? That's another sure. have a good look at it. Yeah, Interesting. It sounds uh, super inspiring. It actually just, just brought back memories of my very first guest on the podcast, Charles Mugarera from um, Uganda. Same thing. He was a, he's a war orphan and, right. uh, you know, born into abject poverty. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, managed to get, you know, get himself to university and, and got a degree in business and then started up a social enterprise um, in Uganda uh, which was permaculture farming to assist the locals on how to how to farm without the need to have to purchase fertilizers and because they can't afford those things. Yeah. So I guess like organic organic approaches to farming that are sustainable for the land in Uganda and and basically mm-hmm. not to profiteer but just to put food in the belly. And he's and now he's he's creating jobs and opportunities for young people. So very similar. Very similar. Yeah. Very cool. So yeah. Astonishments. Um, mission is to empower each person to become who they're created to be you know and whatever that is you know whatever capacity so yeah it's a very so, very cool thing to be involved with so youth opportunities south org, and i'll put that link in sally's show notes and you can find uh sally's episode on the terrible happy talks website which is terriblehappytalks.com and you can also find links there to the various platforms that the podcast is published on, such as Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and um, there's a few others. So whatever works best for your device, you can find a link to that on the website. Now listen, Sal, um, I've got a gift for you. Uh, but Really? Yeah, I, try, well, I want to give all guests a gift. I've got two gifts, and um, the first one, um, the Australian distributor of Indosol will be sending you a pair of flip-flops or slides, so I'll have to get your shoe size after the show. Wow, and, that's um, very cool. And you can wear them around the farm. 
you know, or Perfect. the beach. Yeah. So, yeah. I so, love the Indosol shoes. They're awesome. They're so good. And like yeah. they supply every every guest who comes on the podcast uh, gets a pair of Indosols. Oh, and very even, kind. Even Thank since you. I've come back to Australia, you know, they're, they're shipping them out. So uh, if you go to www.indosol.com, they ship worldwide. They have distributors in most major regions of the world. So a delivery is usually within one to two days. And uh, yeah, you know, put them on your feet and take uh, some ve- uh, motor vehicle tyres out of landfill, which is awesome. And if you use promo code THT on the website, you will get a further 15% discount. And same with Tectonic Coffee. If you need a caffeine fix, go to the website. They ship worldwide. It's really super clean caffeine, pesticide-free, organic, and um, you'll get a, a discount on that as well if you use the THT promo code. So now the other thing that I've got for you, now don't get too excited, <laughs> but you're now a THT alumni, which means you get the THT Circle logo sticker. Woohoo! So you'll be episode 69 and, um, yeah, stick it, you know, uh, on something, whatever you want. Most people stick on their laptop actually. So, but you can... That's going straight to the pool room. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. I don't know. I get really shy when I give that out, especially like... I want to give something better than that. It's I'm, cool. But it's I a sticker. It. I'm but part of the tribe now. There's only 69 of those stickers around. so Pretty special. There you go. Actually, there's probably more. Probably, I've stuck a few on my surfboards. It's okay. Yeah. Actually, Dylan Longbottom, the pro surfer, stuck one on his surfboard. And for me as a surfer, I was like, yes, Dylan Longbottom has one on his surfboards. <laughs> I'm in good company. You are in good company. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Shannon. Yeah. I have just mm-hmm. loved it. I couldn't yeah. think of a better way to spend my Monday morning. It's great. Or whatever it? the day is. Mm-hmm. And have absolutely, it's been a blast. Thank you it has so been. much. Yeah. And like I just, um, like I said, so much gratitude for your openness and honesty and I guess like authenticity, you know. And I think I'm personally going to reach out to you to see if I can do one of your consultation sessions. You, love do, them, to. you do them on Zoom, right? Zoom. Yep. Let's Zoom. I love it. Can't wait. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to maybe have another coffee with you and enjoy that view. So let's go. Sounds great. See ya. See you, Shannon. Thanks. Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up, ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can, and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com.